Hey, welcome to the Spring Hills podcast feed. Today, we've got a sermon replay for you. We now put our sermons on the podcast feed, so you can have easy access to it. Uh, you can go to the Spring Hills app under media, and you can find the podcast feed there, uh, so you can listen to the sermons easily while you're driving to work. You can listen to them on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can find your podcast. We we have our feed up. So uh, the sermons are now available to you on the podcast feed. And then, of course, we talk a lot about the sermons throughout our episodes. So those are always good to, to catch up on. If you missed last weekend at church, you can listen to Pastor Brett's sermon here on the feed and then listen to the following episode of the Spring Hills podcast. So check out this message from this past weekend. Welcome to Spring Hills. Uh, my name is Sean. We're so glad you're here today. Uh, we today are concluding our sermon series called Relationships Matter. Uh, Relationships Matter, the, you know, the spirit of the series has been that while our relationships can be hard and at times painful, they are still yet worth it, right? It is still worth it because they are essential to living a life of joy and of purpose. All right, so while we might at times want to just throw them away, we have good reason to build them up and restore them so that we can have real, genuine relationships in our life. All right, and that's what I want to talk about today, the idea of having genuine relationships, of having genuine love for other people. Now, has anyone uh, heard of the Asbury Revival? Asbury Revival. Yeah, it's actually pretty neat. Uh, there is a, a small town, Wilmore, in Kentucky, home to about 6,000 residents, and it's also home to a very small college called Asbury University. And a few weeks ago, there was a small college-age church service at one of the buildings on their campus, which was followed by a small worship service. And at the end of the worship service, a few of the students stuck around and continued worshiping. And they continued worshiping and continued worshiping, and uh, eventually the worship became viral on social media, and people started coming from across Kentucky, from across the eastern U.S., from across the country, from outside the country. People started flying in, driving to Asbury to worship God. And over a two-week period, uh, over 50,000 people came to Asbury to worship God. Now, isn't that amazing? You know, what was most encouraging to me was that most of these people, nearly all of these people worshiping God were Gen Z, the young people. You know, a generation that is growing up in a culture that is just upside down in truth, and a culture that is lacking in authentic 
genuine relationships. And here we see God creating a genuine relationship, sharing genuine love with this generation. And that is good news. And so uh, to encourage you today, uh, we're going to look at the very same verses that they discussed at that small college-age church service and kind of kicked off this Asbury Revival in Romans chapter 12. And the big idea, the thing I want you to remember when you leave here is this, let love be genuine. Let our love for other people be genuine. All right, and to dive into this idea, we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul was a Jewish teacher, a Jewish leader in the first century. Who, uh, he was a man that persecuted Christians, but had this encounter with Jesus, and his life was transformed. And he spent the rest of his life sharing God's truth and God's love with other people. And he writes this letter to the Roman church, which at this time found itself divided. And that's because in 49 AD, the Roman Emperor Claudius uh, declared that all Jewish people had to be expelled from Rome. Okay, so all the Jewish Christians that were part of this church had to leave, had to leave their homes, had to leave their church for a period of five years until Claudius died and his edict lapsed. And they were allowed to return. But as they returned, they found a church that was very different than the one they left. A church that was lacking in Jewish customs and Jewish tradition. And so there created division. About, really about the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it look like for a Christian to to live now that we have faith in Jesus? And so Paul writes them this letter to resolve that division and to give them a clear picture of God's truth, which he does in chapters 1 through 11. And here in chapter 12, now he turns his attention to how that truth plays out in our relationships. All right, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. That's where we're going to spend our time today. All right, so here in Romans 12, Paul says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for you. You are God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. We just pray today you work more, change our hearts and our minds to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my friends, so we're going to start here at the very top where Paul gives us this principle, what one pastor calls the great fundamental controlling principle governing Christian behavior. And that's this, that love must be sincere. And then he follows that with a series of commands, a a series of imperatives, uh, showing us, describing how this love plays out 
in our lives. And so we're going to start with this first principle, this governing principle. Love must be sincere. Now, the, uh, this letter to the Romans was originally written in the Greek language, and Greek is this wonderful language. It's this rich language. Every word has all this meaning. And when we translate that into English, we can sometimes lose some of that meaning. And that, unfortunately, happens here with the word love. Uh, in the Bible, love is a big topic, right? Jesus spoke a lot about love. The disciples wrote a lot about love. Paul writes a lot about love. But the love that they speak so much about is different than the love that we often speak so much about, right? The love that we talk about is, is generally, usually self-focused, right? When I say I love pizza, I mean that I like the way pizza tastes, right? Or I, when I love that movie, I mean that I like the way that movie makes me feel. Or for me personally, if we get personal for a second, I love escape rooms. <laughs> Anyone else? I mean, look, can I, can I just take a quick aside? If you haven't tried an escape room, they are awesome. If you're at all a puzzle person, I mean, this, it'll blow your mind. They're feats of engineering. They are so fun. I love them. But what I mean is that I like the way I feel when I get to do an escape room. And so when we say it, we mean it in a more self-focused way. But that's not how Jesus talked about love, how the disciples wrote about love. They mean it in an others-focused way. And to describe this unique concept of love, they uh, used an uncommon Greek word, agape. There are actually four uh, different Greek words that um, we generally translate into the English word love. All right? Eros, which uh, refers to physical love. Phileo and storge, which refer to more that emotional affection within the, within the family or with really close friends. And then there's agape. Agape means this, this goodwill this sacrificial goodwill towards others even when they don't deserve it. And this word agape is nearly absent from ancient Greek literature, but it's all over the New Testament. It's what Jesus is talking about when he tells of what the greatest commands of God are. He says, love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your soul, all your mind. He says, love your neighbor... As yourself. He's talking about agape here. He's saying, have others focused love, sincere goodwill towards others, even when they don't deserve it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, let our outward, outward acts of service, our, our goodwill towards others, let that be sincere. Paul was concerned that the church in Rome that the members of the church had fallen into this pattern of insincere love, insincere acts of service. The word here, uh, uh, insincere, is anipokritos. Um, I have it written down here. Anipokritos. 
ah, meaning without, hypocritos, does that sound like anything? Hypocritos, hypocritos, hypocrite, hypocrisy, without hypocrisy. Let our love for others be without hypocrisy. The word hypocrite actually comes from uh, ancient Greece, where the, you know, the theater was like this big deal in their culture. And, uh, you know, in, uh, in a performance, an actor known as a hypocrite, a hypocrites, would come out and perform. And the actor would normally play different characters during, a, you know, one performance, and there wasn't really a traditional backstage. And so the actor would bring out masks, multiple masks, and they would apply the, a different mask depending on which character they were playing. So they'd have a, you know, a happy mask or a, a sad mask or an angry mask. And depending on who they were playing, they would apply the appropriate mask. And so it's that concept that Paul is using here. He says, our love for others, our, our, our goodwill actions, our sacrifice for others must be sincere, must be without hypocrisy. They must not be pretend. They must not be an act. And so he follows this principle with a series of commands, of imperatives that show us what love looks like when it plays out in our lives. And before we go through these, I just want to encourage you, you know, the, the message of Romans for the first 11 chapters, a primary message is that we, in our own strength, in our own will, in our own might, cannot fulfill God's law. We cannot love God and love others in the way that we're supposed to. But as Christians, as we, when we look to Christ, when we give our life to Him, we're given the Holy Spirit, God Himself, to dwell within us, to be with us. And it's by His power, His strength, His wisdom that we're set free from our life of slavery to sin and now free to truly love God and love others. And so here's my encouragement. Here's my challenge to you, okay? As we go through these, pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired these words, all right, pray that the Holy Spirit use these same words to prompt us. We're all going through something different, all right? We all have different relationships, different pain points, different issues in our lives. Pray that the Holy Spirit work within you, bring to your mind, as we're going through these things, areas in your life that need change, an action that you need to take, and then God willing, when he does that, follow his lead, all right? It's about a relationship with God, all right? That's what this is all about. So you ready? All right, let's do this. The first, the first command here is this, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It's interesting, right after he talks about love, he's giving us a command to hate. I, uh, I thought, you know, when I was growing up, certainly, I thought that love and hate were opposite ideas. But not so, not so, says Paul. He says, in order to genuinely love someone, we are to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. 
Now, to really understand what he's saying here, we have to have an appropriate view of what it means to be good and evil. A few years ago, my wife and I were having uh, uh, you know, folks over at our house during the holidays, and there was a young lady there. We didn't know her well. She was a, a friend of a friend, and we got to talking to her, and she let us know that she was an atheist and that she had been attending what she called a secular gathering on Sundays. You know, it's like a church service without God. There's music and there's speakers, but there's no God. There's no worship. And she said that she liked going to these secular gatherings because the people there were trying to be good people. And that really stuck with me, you know, even years later, because, you know, she was being very sincere. She wanted to be a better person, a good person. And who doesn't want that? It's like the, uh, the young man who came up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins his answer by, by saying, why do you call me good? Saying, do you know what good means? He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Only God sets the standard. Without God, these words, good and evil, have no objective meaning. What I think is good might be evil to you. But God has given us an anchor point. He has revealed to us what is good and what is evil. He's shown us His character that is perfectly good. He's shown us what actions lead us towards Him and what actions cause us to reject Him. And so Paul's saying that in our relationships it's okay to hate what is evil, to hate the sin in our life and in theirs. But at the same time, we are to love the person. We are to cling to what is good. We are to follow God's prompting, His wisdom, His word in our relationships with them. Now, hypocritical love, disingenuous love, and sincere love does the opposite. Insincere love accepts, affirms what is evil so that they will like us. Insincere love avoids doing what is right so that we'll avoid the conflict. In order to genuinely love somebody, we need to hate what will hurt them and pursue what will help them. Paul goes on, he says, uh, be devoted to one another in love. Uh, so he returns to this topic of love here, but he's using a different Greek word. Now he's using phileo and storge, right? This idea of a warm affection for another person. He's saying be warmly affectioned to one another in the Greek word Philadelphia, in brotherly love. He's saying, treat your brothers and sisters in faith as if they're brothers and sisters in blood. Now, this seems really hard, or it can be hard, right? I mean, he's talking about an emotion, right? And you can't, it, it's impossible to just create an emotion. 
It's almost insincere to try to just, you know, create an emotion towards somebody. But the answer, I think, comes back to what's true, God's truth about what it is that we as Christians share. And we share something quite extraordinary. We share the fact that we were all once lost. Lost in darkness, in confusion. Slaves to sin. Deserving of God's wrath. And all of us look to God who first pursued us, who came and, and took on human nature, lived a perfect life, died on the cross so that we could look to him and let his work count for us. He paid the penalty that we deserve so that we could be declared righteous. And in that moment in our lives, the Holy Spirit came to us, dwells within us, freed us from our life of slavery to sin, and adopted us as members of God's family. We are to treat each other as members of a family because we are. So when someone in the church offends you, we're to treat them as members of our family that offend us. It's like at Thanksgiving. You know, we all get together, and then someone inevitably brings up politics. And it's always the opposite view of yours, you know, and, you know, it just, the evening just descends into chaos at that point. But, you know, we get over it. We get over it, and they get invited back next year. Maybe in two years, you know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he goes on to say, he says, he says, honor one another above yourselves. This idea of honoring something, it, the concept is to assign a value to an object after you've examined it thoroughly. It's giving it a price. Assigning a value to an object after you've assessed it well. He says, assign a value to one another above yourselves. Above yourselves, this is the idea, this, this is the, uh, the word preference. It's the concept of, of going ahead of, preparing the way, opening the doors, holding in high esteem. It's also the idea of outdoing one another in, in showing honor, being first to show honor. He's saying, assign a value to one another as high as possible. Assign the highest possible value to each other. Now, this is easier said than done. It's actually really easy to say. If you, uh, have you ever told someone they did a great job, and on the inside you're like, hmm, you know, could have been better. <laughs> To sincerely honor someone, to sincerely ascribe a high value to someone requires that we have an appropriate view of ourselves. And what's true about ourselves is that we have what we have by the grace of God. Paul, who thought of himself as the chief of sinners, was amazed he was a Christian at all. We should be amazed. We are a Christian by the grace of God. We have the gifts that we have by the grace of God. We have what we have by the grace of God. You know what we deserve? Nothing. 
But you know what the one thing that gets in the way of this, the one thing that really stops us from doing this well? Pride. Pride. William Barclay, one commentator, uh, said this. He said, more than half the trouble that arises in churches concerns rights and privileges and prestige. Someone has not been given his or her place. Someone has been neglected or unthanked. The mark of a truly Christian man or woman has always been humility. To assign a high value to someone else in a genuine way begins in a place of humility. It's reflecting on the fact that we have what we have by the grace of God alone. And it becomes not important for us to get credit. It's amazing what a a person can do when they don't care about getting credit. Put aside your pride. Recognize what we have is by the grace of God alone. And then we can look at others and, and appreciate them and the gifts that God has given them. Paul goes on, he says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Literally, this means never be lazy. Don't be lazy in your passion, in your urgency, in your enthusiasm. In the 1700s, there was a a group of Christians that were called enthusiasts. It was actually a, a derogatory term. They didn't want to be called enthusiasts, but they were called that because there was a perception that they were legalistic, that they didn't have compassion on other Christians that were weaker, that would stumble. And it's true, you know, that, that passion can be bad if it's aimed in the wrong direction. But Paul is saying, be passionate, be enthusiastic, be zealous in serving God. Jesus said this and Paul said this, that loving your neighbor as yourself fulfills the law. It is a way of serving God. So when we're going through these hard relationships, when we're pursuing these people, when we're working to restore relationships, it changes our mindset. We're doing this not not just for them, but we're doing this in thankful response for what has already been done for us by God. We can pursue these difficult relationships and work at these difficult with these difficult, challenging people as a way of loving God, serving Him in thankful response for what has already been done for us. He goes on, he says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You know, as Christians, our lives are anchored in hope, this idea of hope. We have confidence, a hopeful confidence that God will work in the hard times of our lives. He will work in us to develop something good, to develop perseverance and character. That He will bring all things together for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. We have a hopeful confidence that he will work in the hardest relationships. And he is working. 
Paul says, be patient in affliction. This means stand your ground. Stay the course in pursuing that person and in, in, in working on that relationship and dealing with that difficulty. And be faithful in prayer. The only way we're going to genuinely love somebody is by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit within us, with His strength and His wisdom. This takes discernment, when to act, when not to act, when to, when to pursue, when not to pursue. This is about a relationship with God, and we need to stay connected to Him, to His Spirit for wisdom, for guidance, for strength. And lastly, Paul says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This word share means uh, be generous. Be generous. Uh, you know, it would have been really important for the Roman church, right? The Jewish Christians who had been exiled from their homes now starting to return to Rome. And it would have been important for the non-Jewish Christians to be generous with them, to open their homes to them. I was uh, first uh, introduced to this idea of giving when I was a kid, uh, when I attended church with my parents. Before church, my mom would give me a dollar so that I'd have something to put in the offering plate when it went by. And I have to tell you, I did not like that. <laughs> I didn't like it because, you know, I, did, I was doing it for the wrong reason. I, I have to tell you, the emotion I felt when I gave that dollar was not generosity. The reason I put that dollar in the plate, you know why? Two reasons. One, my mom told me to. Two, I was convinced that the tall people around me were watching me. <laughs> the only feeling I felt when I put that dollar in that plate was pressure. But as I grew up, you know, God worked in my heart. And I can tell you now, giving sacrificially, giving is freedom. Giving is a wonderful, freeing act. It, it shows ourselves, it shows God that we know that everything we have is His. We begin to hold our possessions with an open hand. And we can, you know, we should be discernful. I'm not saying, you know, someone knocks on your door, you let him in and, you know, sleep in your bed. You know, I'm saying, I'm saying, look, hold your possessions with an open hand. Be willing to use what God has given you to genuinely love other people. And that's how Paul concludes verse 13. And so listen, you know, the only way that we are going to genuinely love other people. The only way that we can genuinely love somebody is by first being loved, genuinely loved by God. The big idea today was let love be genuine. I almost made the big idea, don't fake it. All right? Don't fake it. Genuine love for others comes from being genuinely loved by God. When we experience God's love for us, when we see that He first pursued us while we were enemies, while we were rejecting Him, He came. 
took on human nature, died on the cross so that we could look to him and have his work count for us so that he could pay the penalty that we deserve for all the things we've done wrong and will do. And his righteousness is counted to us, is credited to us, so that we can have that genuine relationship with God. He first loved us. And because we are now secure in him, our our relationship with God is completely secured. Our needs are met. We can begin looking at others differently. Not as means to get what we need, but as opportunities to show them the love that we have been given. To serve them genuinely so that they might know God's love. And if you're here and you're you're not a believer, I just want to encourage you, you know, if you're searching for that authentic, genuine relationship, look to God. He is the only source of genuine love. And He is here waiting for you. Look to Him. Thank Him. Ask Him to come into your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you are, for your genuine love, your authentic, sincere love for us. A love that pursued us even though we don't deserve it. Let's pray today, Lord, that you change our hearts and our minds. Continue the good work you began. Show us the areas where we need to take action. And give us the strength, the courage, your strength, Lord, to make that move. In Jesus' name.